Hi guys, it's Alana Goodchild. You may know me as Flickr, the Sydney Indie Flames mascot. Make sure you tune in to Shooting the Breeze podcasts on Fridays at 4pm. Welcome to our second Shooting the Breeze playback, where we highlight parts from episode 7 to 11. First up, from episode 7, Basketball New South Wales CEO Maria Nordstrom takes us behind the scenes in the lead-up and announcement of Basketball Australia's successful bid for Sydney to host the FIBA Women's World Cup in 2022, and some of the next steps. Can you give us a, a little bit of background on how the planning for this came to be, and what's the involvement of BNSW, and also, what sort of support did you get from our state and federal governments in getting the World Cup mm. here? It's very exciting that we have been awarded this. Obviously, Basketball Australia is the direct kind of or, or conduit into FIBA. Just to your question about how do we, you know, start this journey? So, uh, in 2018, actually, when I first started. In uh, 2017, we were looking to develop our strategic plan. And as a part of that, we, you know, we were looking for, I guess, levers to elevate the sport to, if you go as business as usual and just look at organic growth, no matter how well you organize it, obviously you can only grow so much. To our, my point earlier is how do you look at the business model and how do you make sure that you maximize the opportunity and value for everybody? This was one of those areas that we felt that we could uh, make a difference by uh, having a major event in New South Wales, specifically around women. Uh, we have a premiere that was also very, I guess, a program in place to generate 10 World Cups in 10 years. Had a very strong focus on women. We looked at the strategic plan of attracting a major event, and with Bob Alfingston, who was my chair at the time here at Basketball New South Wales, I said, well, this is one of the things we want to do. Uh, I would suggest the Women's World Cup is probably not going to be achievable because that was already awarded to uh, the, Phil- the Philippines, Japan, and uh, one more country, Malaysia, I think it is. So three countries in Asia, and that's already been awarded uh, for 2023. So then we have to look at basically 2027, and that's far away. So if we're looking at something in the shorter term, aligned to the government goal here, it will be the FIBA Women's World Cup in 2022. So on the back of that, uh, obviously spoke to uh, uh, David Reid from uh, from Basketball Australia, who's one of the directors on the BA board, uh, who is from New South Wales, and David and I went. To Tenerife in 2018 to look at the Women's World Cup and look at uh, where the game was at, the deliverables, etc., and also ascertaining FIBA's, I guess, willingness to consider Australia as a host for, for the World Cup. On the back of that, uh, obviously came back and we lobbied government for the best part of 18 months to support this event and the funding will uh, be brought forward for the event uh, as part of this as well. In uh, 20, uh, basically 12 months ago, we submitted the initial expression of interest to FIBA that we were going to bid for this. Part of that, obviously, was then a big team with Basketball Australia, Basketball New South Wales, and a few other stakeholders was brought into the bid team with an external firm that worked with us to put the whole structure of the bid together, which was finalised in February this year. So it was quite a long journey uh, and quite a, a lot of that work was done quite late in the year. As a part of that, we then had a delegation visit uh, for us to present our, our bid and also the location and the value add about what the World Cup could bring to obviously FIBA and the broader community around the world of basketball. Then the final presentation was done via video link in the end because we were meant to go to Geneva to do the final pitch. 
but uh, we did it. Uh, and I have to say one thing that we are, we are resourceful. So we had Bob and myself here in Sydney, Joel Richter, who is the CEO of Basketball Australia, and Ned Cochin, who's the chair of Basketball Australia in Melbourne. And we presented our final pitch to CBAR via video link into Geneva and from Geneva out to, I think, 52 countries. Wow, so, uh, and that was for us to basically do our final pitch and for them to then vote to award it. And it been really a bit surreal in a lot of ways because you're sitting in a room uh, in Glebe presenting, uh, waiting for them to do the final vote uh, after the, the there was a short list and after the other presentation has been had been done. We then were notified to go back online and they then announced it. To then having a glass of champagne and then going home at about 12.30 in the morning <laughs> without gonna, being able to celebrate. But it's a great event that, and a big journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was going to say there must have been a, a glass of wine or a glass of bubbly at the end of that whole process. So it's been a really good, I think, learning experience for us. Uh, and I think, you know, the big team went really well and then worked really well together. And I talked about, you know, the hierarchy of basketball and sport and, the, you know, there's always a bit of tension at each layer. But I think in this instance, we worked very well together for a purpose and an outcome that we wanted to achieve to become the host of the FIBA Women's World Cup in 2022. So out of that now has been a local organising committee that has been formed. And David Reed is the chair of the local organising committee here. It is a separate organisation. We have representation on the board, so, and we'll have, uh, and I will be on the board of that. And, and I, I'm very grateful for that, being having been part of the journey to get us to where we are. And I guess very grateful for the board of BNSW for that to happen as well. So, And we have, uh, obviously, uh, some external directors that we bring in as well, really looking to leverage, you know, some external expertise, especially in the commercial uh, area, which is obviously very crucial for this to be successful. From Episode 8, we're chatting with Flames development player Alana Goodchild on her selection for the AIS Basketball Centre of Excellence in Canberra. And a few more things. What would you say is the biggest basketball achievement you've had so far in your career? There's two that, I mean, I can't not mention. Um, but obviously one being the development player for the Flames. I mean, that's just absolutely boosted my confidence and playing, I think, in so many areas because training alongside professionals I mean, I think three times a week has been like super helpful. Yep. Um, and obviously the second is being asked to the Center of Excellence down at the AIS. So um, those combinations have just really lifted my, I guess, my playing ability, mental ability, um, physical, obviously, and confidence is probably one of the main things. How did you end up there? Did you um, apply for um, for a position down there as part in the program, or were you selected? Um, so the centre, it's a selective thing. So um, I'm just very fortunate that I've been asked to so many Australian events that um, I've had Kristen Veal, the head coach, watch me for so many events. Um, even basketball New South Wales events, she's come up to and watched. So I've known her for quite a few years and having her know who I am um, has obviously been very positive. So when I got the phone call, obviously ecstatic because um, that's been a goal of mine for years and years. And I know all the girls down there, all the athletes, because we've obviously been in Australian teams together. So it is a level of familiarity. So I'm not going in there blinded as if, oh, I don't know what the AIS is or yep. um, who, where am I living, that sort of thing. So I know how it works. Um, yeah. Are you living on campus or are you living close yep. by? 
no, we live on campus. They call it the um, the residences, the so athlete resis. So we call it resis as a short term. So we live on campus. So the walk to the courts is about a three-minute walk, five-minute walk. So there's no travel time, which gives me more time to do other things. It's not used to because I live in Dulwich Hill when I play for Hornsby. I'm used to, what, hour and a half hour travel time. And only being five minutes away from the court gives me so much more time to do other things. So sometimes I'm caught myself just sitting, doing nothing, getting ready for training like an hour and a half before when I don't need to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing having everything on site. You've got the courts. There's six courts that you can use. Um, there's the gym that we use. There's the fields that we use for strength and conditioning. There's a nutritionist we have access to, psychologist, physio, team doctor. There's like everything we need is right in front of us. So we're very privileged and very, oh, we're just given so much and it's so easy to be down there. It's very, very, very good. So that also means that we'll be seeing you um, whenever Sydney's playing Canberra down in Canberra. Yes, definitely. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> and, and how are you yeah. finding Canberra as well? I mean, it's it's really different to Sydney. I don't know because, like I said, Sarah's down there and it's easy to have people that you know down there because it's also a level of familiarity. But as the city's concerned, it's the AIS is quite isolated away from everything. So it's quite hard to get around. So when you do go out um, as a team or with your mates or whoever you want to go out with, it's, it's for that period of time. So you make the most of going out for that period of time. I mean, in a sense, when you, you have a bus pass, obviously, you can make your way around. But the AIS, it has everything you need, really. There's dining hall. You get given food, like you're fed. You, you get given everything. So there's only a few extra things that you kind of need when you go out. So we're very privileged in that sense. Everything's kind of at our doorstep. Getting back to basketball, what do you find is the, is your greatest challenge or challenges as a player? I guess any player would say injuries um, because they're greater setbacks and you get pushed back from training. Um, but personally, I always think the mental battle is my biggest challenge. So the day-to-day training environment is always a challenge because um, you're always trying to challenge yourself to be the best person you can, best version of yourself, to, to push yourself both as a player and as a person, so on and off the court. So being in that like an elite mentality, being training hard, being the biggest challenge, challenge yourself every drill and then challenge yourself off the court to be the best person you can be. I think all that is the greatest challenge is being a player. But if it's on court, I would say injuries because they just throw you off. They're just so challenging to manage sometimes. Just being in that environment surrounded by people who understand um, with the Flames, it's really helpful. So like this past year, we will we'll, – injury prone which is really upsetting but like frog said in her interview gave other players the ability to step up and the ability to have more court time so in a sense if you're that person getting injured which hopefully touch wood no one does obviously you're going to be under pressure to get back quickly but also you should be happy that someone else is able to fill your shoes so there's obviously pros and cons to every situation but of course injuries it's it's so hard it's so so hard from episode 9, we chat with Lee Hadjapantelis, principal at Brighton's Lawyers and longtime Flame sponsor, on the benefits to an organisation of sponsoring a sports team. For anybody who's listening in who would be interested, who's considering sponsoring sport, what, what benefits do you believe that it brings to an organisation? And more importantly, 
what would you recommend to them as their way to approach sports sponsorship? Uh, well, I think I think the benefits are twofold: um, internal and external. Like speak internally, though, for the benefit of the firm. Uh, with our sports sponsorship, I've been able to avail all of my staff to various opportunities that they would otherwise not have had. Attending Flames games at, at Brighton Stadium, attending State of Origin games uh, interstate, attending NRL games, for example. All of these opportunities they wouldn't have been able to avail themselves otherwise. And there is nothing more enjoyable for me uh, as the as the principal and as the employer than sharing in these experiences with staff. What is the point of going to a State of Origin game and and sitting in a private suite on your own and watching rather than having all your staff or many of your staff with you. So these are the sorts of opportunities. Secondly, it also impresses upon the staff what the firm does in a real sense. That is that not only do we provide legal services to many to all of our clients, but we're able to, to use that and translate that into a community benefit, either through sponsorship of a, um, a sporting organisation or a community organisation, which we do a lot of. And we do a bit of charity work as well. We are sponsors of uh, the Leukaemia Foundation and Variety, the children's charity. So it's an opportunity for those who work with me to buy in. To what I'm trying to do. And that's recognizing the corporate responsibility that we have and identifying how fortunate that we have been and making sure that we're able to give something back. Now, externally, for the benefit of the firm, sports sponsorship elevates the branding, the marketing, the level of uh, engagement with fans and potential clients. And there are those benefits as well. So for me, sponsorship of a sporting organization provides, it's a complete package. It is personally and professionally very, very rewarding. And as I said, internally and externally. So for others who are considering it, I think they should, and they should do it very seriously. And there is a number of factors I think that they can take into account. Firstly, identify your market. Identify the sort of sporting teams or organizations or leagues that your market may be inclined towards. And with me, as I said to you, my bread and butter are the people in the western suburbs of Sydney, extending all the way from Leichhardt through to Camden and beyond, who turn up week in and week out and sit on that hill and cheer on their NRL team. That has always been my demographic and always will be. And I think other other organizations who are interested in, in uh, sporting, uh, sorry, sponsorship of a sporting organization can perform a similar exercise. And if it's not a sporting organization, give consideration to sport to sponsoring a community organization or a club. For example, I sponsor uh, Mounties. I'm the principal sporting partner of the Mounties Club here at Mount Pritchard. They have 27 subcommittees uh, administering 27 different sports. Now, you think for a moment how many thousands upon thousands of children and parents and extended family are intertwined in those committees and the sports that are played. And of course, each and every one of them wears their jumper or jersey on the weekend bearing the Bryden's lawyer's insignia and logo. So for me, that's a very clever marketing ploy. However, it is also a very professionally rewarding and personally satisfying program because Mounties is such an iconic Southwest Sydney institution. Uh, And so partnering with them uh, cements us within this community. So as I say, there's a a little bit of work to be done. Um, but, but people who are interested in sporting or community sponsorships should consider it seriously. Uh, do your homework. Look at the, the sort of things that would interest those, that market that you're targeting, and, uh, and, and go from there. But uh, always ensure that there is a, there's, there's going to be a level of personal reward or satisfaction, whether that might be taking your own kids to a game on the weekend of a team that you sponsor. And I can tell you, I, I have three girls, and the level of pride that they show turning up to a Sydney Uni Flames game or a West Tigers game, or a Mounties, or Blacktown Workers, and seeing the name of their father's firm on the front of the jumper, 
I would hope, and I think is 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 you know something that that gives them a lot of pride. So um, uh, so these these are the sorts of things that I think people should consider. Plus, you're giving back, you know, and and there's a reward in that in itself. Coming in episode ten, we chatted with New South Wales talent and Flames development player Kitty Henderson on her experience for suiting up with the Flames, some of the road trips with the girls she'll never forget and how the MVP performance at Nationals helped her regain her confidence. Um, so I've been involved with the Flames only since last year, I would say um, mid midway through the year. Um, so I was part of the Flames Academy, which is just like a group of Basketball New South Wales girls who kind of were being coached by the um, Flames coaches. And then I think from that, they kind of selected Alana and I um, as development players to kind of train and get to know the girls and um, train with the team and make up the numbers. Okay. Two or three times a week, I had training at the Brighton Stadium at Sydney Uni. And um, we just got in on scrimmages, drills. Um, it was actually so good for me as a player. But yeah, so um, yeah, two to three times a week, just got to go in and train with them, which was really good. You were sitting behind the bench for some of the home games. But also, because of injury... You got to uh, you got to suit up. Yeah, it was actually so exciting. I remember the first time that Frog was like, oh, "I think we might need you to suit up." I was just so happy. Like, obviously, it's so um, it's pretty sad for the people who were injured, but I think there weren't very bad injuries, which was good. So they just had a couple weeks out. So I think, yeah, I was just like stoked to the opportunity to even like put on the uniform and just warm up with the girls. It was really cool. Did you get to go on any of the road trips? Um, yeah, so I actually went on two of the road trips, which was very lucky. I got to go to Canberra um, to verse the Canberra cap- Capitals. Yep. And then also I went to Melbourne where we versed the Flyers and the Melbourne Boomers. How did you find being on the road with, with the team? I actually loved being on the road with the team. It was just like such a good atmosphere. And I think I also got to know the players off the court more. So obviously I knew... Like, I knew the players pretty well because of training, but I think spending time with them, you know, at the airport, at the um, accommodation, I think it was just really cool to actually get to know them as people and, you know, relate on things that aren't always basketball-related. Yep. Um, Yeah, so that was really cool. Um, And it was also great to get an idea of the professional environment away from home as well, which was really cool. Obviously, there's, there's, you've got plans going forward. Where do you see yourself going in your basketball career? Um, so I've always had two goals in my basketball career. I've always had those two goals, and then I've also added another kind of in the last couple of months. So I'm going to college at Columbia, which was always a goal of mine to go to college, um, which I'm very happy to have um, achieved. I'm so excited to go there. Um, and then my other goal for basketball is to represent Australia. Obviously, I've come quite close, but haven't quite got there yet, which was devastating. But um, I'll definitely keep working at that one. And then I think my third goal, like where I want to go in basketball, is I think after college I would love to come back and play in the WNBL, especially after being immersed in the environment for so long this year. I just loved it. So, yeah, that's definitely on my on my goals as well. Columbia, what year is that going to be? Uh, so I'll go um, next year. So in 2021, probably around August, yep. I'll go over to Columbia, which is in New York, and spend four years there, hopefully, playing for them and studying. 
any, Columbia. Any, any idea what you want to study at Columbia? Um, I actually like have no clue because they're very the way that it works in America. It's very good because your first year you kind of do a set of core subjects, so you still have time to kind of see what you like the best. And I think that will definitely help me. But yeah, I'm I have no idea at the moment. And are there any other achievements that that you've you're really proud of or that stands out for you? My probably my best achievement is actually being the develop a development player for the Sydney Flames. But I think another big one was so after I didn't make the under nineteen gems Australian team last year, I had this other tournament that was actually at the same time and it was for the New South Wales all schools basketball team. So we went down for a week um, with our team. We played all the other states and my team actually ended up getting gold in the grand final. And then I also got MVP for the whole tournament, which was, I think, really good for me because I was devastated that I hadn't made that team. And I think like I was very happy with how I played that week. And I think I just like showed myself that I can do it. Yeah, so I would say that was probably one of my favourite achievements as well. It's an amazing award to get that MVP, and particularly when you're playing against players who are at that level. It's a real credit to you to get to get that award. Thank you. Finally, coming to us from episode 11, we shoot the breeze with Coach Frog, where we talk about the unique opportunities a no-import season provides emerging players so they can position themselves for national selection in the future. We also get to hear some more about Basketball Australia's Elite Female Coach Advancement Program. Given that we've got no imports, what happens if clubs need to make any changes to the roster due to injury or anything else uh, in this season? Well, we, well, I guess we just have to draw upon, well, one, you know, obviously use your bench a little bit more. Um, and then, you know, we've, we've still got development roles and positions. Or just, yeah, try and be resourceful and, and savvy in, in kind of who might still be available. You never know what happens. There's a few athletes that are going to Europe. You, you still don't know what's going to happen in Europe. So that might be possibilities around that as well. But obviously, Alison's a, an American-Australian. She's got a, um, a distinguished athlete visa. So she's she's not considered an import. It's kind of another, another layer of complexity that, um, <laughs> to be honest, I hadn't really thought about, you know, in terms of what does happen if there's, if there's roster issues. Yeah. Well, I think you know you look at it. You look at it another way as an opportunity for Australian athletes in Australian basketball to to grow some depth. Um, you know, there's a quite a the Australian teams probably aging a little bit. So you'd imagine after this Olympics and perhaps the next World Championships that there'll be a turnover of athletes out of the Australian team with new incoming athletes. So I think you know this year we've got to see it as an opportunity to um, you know develop that next tier and 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 the depth of the Australian talent that we have. That is the one key benefit that's going to come out of this is a lot of players who may not have had an opportunity to get a run in the WNBL because of imports and just because of you know the number of people on the roster will get a chance to to show what they can do. Yeah, and and you know um, there's a lot of athletes, you know, quality athletes that are returning back from college over the next few years. So if anything, it's you know there's nowhere to hide for a lot of athletes this year. It's like you've got a great opportunity and, and you've had a good off-season to be able to work on your fundamentals and develop aspects of your game and your fitness and, um, you know, your mental part of the game, being a student of the game. So I guess it's a great opportunity to see who's taken this time to develop other areas of their game to be able to step out and take that next step and, and showcase their talent 
within a, you know against Australian athletes who they're competing for, against four positions in the Australian team without having the imports in the season in the league. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess it separates those and that's sort of what I've said to some of our girls. It's like this is a great opportunity. It's what you want to do with it and you're the one who's got to drive it and, and want it and, and be doing the work right now to prepare yourself for when the season rolls around. It's a it's a huge opportunity for a lot of players and it'll be interesting to see how some of these players do develop over the season. And speaking of things that are developing, there's a BA initiative that's kind of fallen under the radar a little bit. There's been five coaches announced as taking part in the first elite female coach advancement program over the next yes. two years, and you're one of those five. I am. It's called FCAP because just trying to say that is quite a mouthful every time, so <laughs> we're just going to call it FCAP because <laughs> that's what it's easy to remember as. So, yeah, really great initiative. Um, being driven by Basketball Australia to put us in a position um, as female coaches to continue to develop, um, you know, us as leaders, you know, in the coaching space, build um, relationships and have mentors and be mentors for that next generation. So really wonderful initiative um, by Basketball Australia to put us in this op- um, position to, to you know, to develop and, and be, you know, that next hopefully tier of coaches that, you know, are successful and, and, can, and can be successful at, you know, the elite WNBL level, Australian level, NBL one, whatever it might be. They're really excited by that and obviously working with um, Kristen Veal, who, you know, I've played against and we'll um, be working together with the national junior national team in the near future and obviously two of my former teammates, Dee Butler and Larissa Kavanagh, who have had different but successful coaching pathways. So it's nice to reconnect and um, be in the same space, not as athletes now, but as coaches um, going forward. So. Yes, so we've just sort of started doing, uh, we're working with Bo Hanson, they do a disc profiling. So we're just working on being profiled right now, sort of what our behavioural traits are and recognising, you know, other people's behavioural traits and and how do you adapt to them, um, you know, how do you coach them when they show this sort of behaviour, what's the best way to respond to it. So, again, that leadership space of, yeah, understanding different personalities and different behaviours and and being able to to navigate that space as leaders. Thanks for joining us this week on this recap of some of our earlier episodes. Over the next few weeks, we'll have some awesome guests joining us on the show. Don't forget to tune in to Shooting the Breeze every Friday at 4pm. Subscribe on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio.